Thanks for listening to the Sunday Teaching Podcast from Salt and Light, a community based in Fort Worth, Texas, making disciples of Jesus together by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. Find out more at saltandlightfw.com. So this series that we're in, it's coming to an end next week. Next week, we're actually going to gather together to reflect and share and listen and encourage one another with our stories, our testimonies of how we have seen the goodness of God in our lives. So, but we've been focusing uh, noticing how Jesus is good news to us. How is he good news when we are lonely? How is he good news to the poor? How is he good news to the powerful? How is he good news to the skeptic, to the seeker? How is he good news in our lives today? So the question for us today is, how is Jesus good news when we are doubting? And how is he good news when we are broken and we are feeling hopeless, when the world around us feels like we are just settling into hopelessness? And so that's what we want to talk about today. Now, these emotions, doubting and hopelessness, they are not always felt together um, at the same time. But when we do experience doubt, how we interact with it matters. It matters because doubt has the potential to lead us into hopelessness. It's not wrong. It's not bad. But it, it, there is a danger to how we interact with our doubt. And then on the other side of that, when we experience hopelessness, the reality is we are in the presence of doubt in that hopelessness, whether we realize it or not. Because when we experience hopelessness, we have taken our eyes off of Jesus. We have forgotten who he is. We have changed our minds, whether we realize it or not, on what we believe. Our faith has somehow been altered when we are sitting in that hopeless place. So I want to talk about those two emotions, and we're going to look at it through the lens of John chapter 20. This, I mean, that, that scripture, it's so powerful. It's so beautiful what we get to see of Jesus in this passage. So I want to look at the way specifically Jesus interacts with Mary Magdalene and the way that he interacts with Thomas. These are powerful stories of the way that Jesus encounters these people whom he loves so much. They're so meaningful. We see that Mary is wrestling with hopelessness. Thomas is wrestling with doubt, and Jesus tenderly meets them both in those places. So let me pray for us before we look at these stories. God, I pray that we would get to have just an intimate moment with you this morning, that we would see your presence, we would see your love, we would see your gentleness within these passages of Scripture, that you would meet us personally just how we need. Lord, you know what we need from you, and so we ask that we would receive it today. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so let's start with Mary. Now, before we unpack this experience that we just read about in chapter 20, let's uh, remember a little bit about her, what we do know about Mary. So she travels around with Jesus. She's kind of part of his crowd. Um, You know, she's not named as one of the 12 disciples, but she is one of his disciples. She travels around with him. She helps support his ministry. And what we know about her is that she had previously been possessed by seven demons is what scripture tells us, okay, before following Jesus. That was her life before Jesus. So she knows what it means to go from slavery into freedom. That is a very real and personal thing about her. Um, She has seen his miracles. She's traveled around with him. She has heard his teachings. She has experienced a life forever changed by her relationship with Jesus. She had not just experienced hopelessness, she had a hopeless life. 
That was what her story was until she discovers hope in Jesus. So that is what her before and after experience was. But then, then she sees Jesus die. She's at the crucifixion. She watches him suffer. She watches it all. She goes, she's one of the last people there. And then she returns back to the tomb a couple days later. She realizes it's empty. She panics. She runs to get some of the other disciples. And the thing is, Jesus had told them that he would rise again. They had no understanding, though. And do you blame them? They had no concept of this happening. Would we have responded any differently? Some of the disciples come and see, but they head back home. And Mary is again alone outside of the tomb. And she's crying and she's weeping. And she's crying and she's weeping because this man had changed her life. And not only is he dead, but now his body is missing. That is traumatizing. None of this makes sense, right? Jesus had said he would rise again, but who actually rises again, you know? She sees an empty tomb, but she also understands how death works. She had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, but now that he was gone, who's going to raise Jesus from the dead? It doesn't add up, right? And what happens next in this passage is that Jesus appears, And he asks her a question. The angels appear and ask her a question. Then Jesus appears and asks her a question, and she doesn't recognize him. Um, A few years ago, Matt and I went to a wedding in Denver. It was for a friend from college uh, that we knew from Arkansas. He was getting married in Denver to a woman from Chicago. We did not know his bride. Um, They had, you know, met years later. And um, so we're at the wedding. And the man that performed the ceremony, um, you know, he, we didn't know him either. He was a friend of the bride's. And afterwards, it was a lovely ceremony. Afterwards, we were at the reception. We're all hanging out. And I noticed this man that performed the ceremony, he kind of kept looking at me. Um, it was a little odd. You know, it was like, okay. what? Um, and then eventually, he comes and he sits right next to me. And he looks at me really intently. And he says, are you from Houston? And I said, yes. And he said, did you go to this certain, did you go to this church, you know, faith, faith community, the church I grew up in? I said, yeah. And I'm just looking at him like, what is happening right now? And, um, and he said, Nicole, it's me, Evan. And it turns out he was an old friend of mine from like when I was a teenager in Houston. And somehow we are both at this wedding in Denver for different people. Like we're there for different people the most bizarre, out-of-context experience, I would have never, ever recognized him if he had not said my name, you know? Like, it was just completely out of context for me. It made no sense, right? We were at a college friend's wedding in Denver who was marrying a woman from Chicago. There is no reason for a friend of mine from Houston to be at this wedding. It did not make any sense. So I'm, I totally understand what is happening right now in this moment with Mary. Mary is being asked by the angels, and then Jesus himself, why are you crying? She doesn't recognize what is happening. None of this makes sense. Of course, this, she has no context for what is happening. She has no understanding because she has completely bought into his death. She has lost hope. She does not get it. She is not expecting a living Jesus. 
Nothing is connecting for her. Nothing until Jesus says her name. Mary. Mary. I love this because then it reminds me, reminds us of John 10 when Jesus is giving this uh, teaching about that he is the good shepherd and he says the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He seeks her out and her faith, her hope, it comes by grace in that moment. She recognizes her shepherd when he calls her by name and she responds by crying out, Rabboni. This is like saying, my rabbi, my teacher, you are here. And then Jesus gives her a task to do, and he sends her to tell the others that she has seen the Lord. The first person, man or woman, right here gets to go and preach the good news of the resurrection. And what is incredible here of what Jesus says with his words is that he's using family language now. He says uh, in verse 17, I don't know if we have it up in the screen. Um, okay, I'm going to read it for us. Verse 17, Jesus says, he tells her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Up until now, Jesus has used words such as friends or followers or disciples when he's talking about uh, these people. But now, on the other side of the resurrection, this incredible thing happens. His language changes, and he reveals their adoption by calling them brothers. This is a new relationship that's happening here. They belong together. The hopelessness of his death is gone, and what is in place is the living hope of his resurrection the living hope of their adoption through his resurrection. So what prevents us? We see how Mary has this interaction, but what prevents us from seeing Jesus? How often do we miss God in our grief? Where have you given up on hope? What feels hopeless to you right now? What we see in Mary is that her love for Jesus brought her to the tomb, but her grief over Jesus kept her from seeing him. So what loss or distress is tempting you to lose hope? Does God feel distant or confusing right now? Does he feel far away right now? Because God cares about our grief. Seek him in the midst of your sorrow. He cares about your grief. That thing that is causing you to question right now, that thing that is leading you into a place of hopelessness, that matters to Jesus. He is with you, and he cares about what is hurting you. Isaiah 43 tells us, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When we are feeling hopeless, Jesus is there calling us by our names, saying, you are mine. I love seeing how Jesus meets Mary in that moment. And then I love looking at Thomas, this experience that Thomas has, okay? So poor Thomas has gotten a bad reputation among all people in this world, 
right? He is being labeled as Doubting Thomas. That is his reputation that he has among us, right? We call him the Doubting Thomas, which really feels unfair, right? Because he asks questions. He is a question asker. He is the same guy who asked Jesus a few chapters earlier. I think we might have uh, uh, up in chapter 14. Do we have that verse up there? I'll flip to it for us. In chapter 14, um, when Jesus is giving his long teaching and comforting his disciples, um, you know, he tells them, he says, you know where the place where I'm going. And Thomas responds to him in verse 5 and says, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Like, this is just part of Thomas's personality. He asks the questions. He's not a doubter. He just doubted. It's not his identity, and I think that's a really good reminder not to impose that identity on other people. Um, The reality is that when we read these final passages of Scripture after the resurrection of Jesus, the unbelief of Thomas, this story of Thomas, to me, is way more powerful than the belief of the disciples. Because imagine if we didn't have this story if everyone just immediately believed. I don't know. We don't know why Thomas wasn't with the disciples that first time Jesus appeared to them. Um, But praise God he wasn't. Because we need this experience that Thomas had with Jesus to minister and comfort us today. Because doubt is an inevitable part of our lives. We have all wrestled with it. We all know people that have wrestled with it. But this story shows us how Jesus responds in those moments and how we can respond in those moments and what happens to our faith on the other side. So on the day of resurrection, the disciples see Jesus and they tell Thomas. They tell him what they have seen. And Thomas says, unless I see this for myself, I don't believe it. And I would have said the same thing. Like Mary, Thomas must be thinking, this is impossible. That's impossible. This doesn't make sense. There has got to be some other explanation by what you think you saw. But then what does Jesus do? He shows up. He shows up and he says to Thomas, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he lets Thomas touch him. And Thomas responds by saying, my Lord and my God. After doubt, Thomas responds in worship. So we have these two um, moments that Jesus interacts with people struggling with their hopelessness and struggling with their doubt. They're both asking questions. They're both hurting and confused. So what do we do in the face of hopelessness and doubt? What do we do when we find ourselves doubting with questions, when we're struggling to believe? And I want to say that doubt is human and that we have all experienced it or we will experience it. And I think we've all experienced or will experience feelings of hopelessness. I think it's part of just being in a broken world. And so when we are struggling to have hope, I think what is going on is that we have forgotten what we know to be true of God. And so I want to offer us uh, three thoughts on how to respond when we are faced with doubt or loss of hope. And the first thing I want to say is to be honest simply with where you are. Just be honest with where you are. Don't bypass your feelings or your questions. I think one reason why we see so many people going from doubt 
all the way into deconstruction to then abandoning their faith and walking away from the church these days is because they didn't think that they had space to express their questions. Feel your feelings. Pay attention to what you're asking. Pay attention to what you're noticing. The least helpful thing you can do is stuff it down. Last December, I was in a really hard place. Um, nothing specific was, uh, it, you know, it wasn't catastrophic, but it was a really, really hard fall for me. Um, a lot of heavy things. There was stuff going on within our family, with our children. Uh, I was walking alongside a close friend that was going through a really traumatic experience. The world just felt extra heavy for me. And I was sad. I was really sad, and I was really starting to feel lonely, and I was really starting to feel alone. And then I started to question my work and my calling and, and what is happening anymore, which led me to question God. Is any of this real? Is my faith real? Are you real? Can I take scripture at its word? Lord, do you really have grace to offer me? Is there really power when I call upon your name? Are you with me in this? I feel really alone and lonely right now. And now as a leader, it is really tempting for me to not share that part with you. But I would rather lead with honesty and vulnerability so that we feel safe here with what we're struggling with. And for me, it all came to a head on a Friday afternoon when I was folding laundry. I couldn't ignore my struggle anymore. I couldn't ignore the ache in my soul, the feelings of hopelessness that I was struggling with. And I felt compelled to just get on my knees before the Lord and just wrestle it out and say all the things and confess all of the questions and just be honest. And I'll tell you, the Lord met me in a really personal and tender way. And I share that because sometimes we're not honest with ourselves because we feel embarrassed or we feel ashamed. And instead of getting on our knees before the Lord, we stuff it down and we try and fix it ourselves. We feel like we should already have the answers figured out. We've been walking this journey for a long enough time. I shouldn't have any more questions. I think that's a really foolish posture for us and a really dangerous one to think of that, that way. Because sometimes we do struggle with doubt and sometimes we do struggle with hopelessness. And I want you to know that you're not alone. But I also want us to try and understand our doubts and our questions why we're feeling these hopeless feelings. What subjective experiences are we bringing to the table? Uh, how has our family of origin impacted the way we process and see things? What has your church experience been like in the past? What is shaping your thoughts today? What are you reading? Who are you listening to? Notice what is influencing your time and attention, especially when you're beginning to feel those things of doubt and questions and hopelessness. Pay attention to what's influencing you. And then be honest with where you are. The second thing for us to consider is to be in community with others. I think another reason why people, uh, many people have doubted and then deconstructed and then walked away from their faith is that they were shut down when they did question. They didn't feel safe to ask questions. Look back um, in chapter 20. Look back at, with me with, at Thomas for a minute in verse 26. 
I had never noticed this before until this week, and this just stands out to me so much. Okay, verse 26 says, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was, Thomas was with them. A week later. Oh, scripture is so cool to give us these tiny little details here, okay? A week later, Thomas, they were still together, and Thomas was with them. I love this detail so much. One week had passed since they told Thomas what they had seen. One week since Thomas told them, I don't believe you. But they stayed together. They stayed together. Thomas was still with them. He was not kicked out. They didn't tell him that he didn't belong. They didn't tell him, you have to believe this or you're not around with us. Even though, he didn't, uh, even though they didn't share in his doubt, they didn't walk away from him. And he didn't walk away either. He didn't put space in between them either. In the midst of Thomas's doubting, in the midst of him asking these questions about the resurrection, they still stayed together. So when you doubt, and when you're asking questions, and when you're struggling with hopeless thoughts, do not isolate yourself. This is so important. Invite others into your wrestling. Let people know what you're struggling with. Do not be afraid to ask your questions. Don't be afraid to share your questions out loud. Don't let shame or embarrassment keep you from isolate from keep you isolated. And then if you're on the other side, if you're like the disciples, um, do not be afraid of someone asking questions. We do not want to go too soft on doubt, but we also don't want to be too hard on it either. We want to be a community where it is safe to ask the hard questions or um, where it is safe to admit that you're struggling with hope. Do not look down or judge someone who might be walking through those things and honor the pace of God in each person. When I was pregnant with James, uh, you know, my first, my first kiddo, everyone, everything was new to me, right, about being pregnant. Um, and I am also a questioner by nature. I like to know how things are going to go and why things work the way they work, um, why things are the way they are. And so the doctor that I was seeing at the time, though, she did not appreciate this very much. And after one appointment where I had asked a handful of questions, she grabbed my leg and just looked at me and said, listen, you don't need to know anything, but just show up at the hospital. <laughs> and that might be really comforting to some people. That is not comforting to me, okay? That is the last thing that I needed to be told. Um, that was not helpful at all. So that was also the last time I saw her. <laughs> um, and, you know, one reason why we planted salt and light is because we knew, we personally, the Tatums and the Connollys knew so many people, people we loved, people even in this room right now who were asking questions and didn't know where to ask them. That makes no sense to me. Why is the church not the safest place to ask the hardest questions? We might not always agree. That's okay. And we might not always have the answers. And that's okay. 
but we always want to be a place to go, a people who are like the disciples. You might not believe right now. That's okay. You're here, and we love you. And the last thing I want us to consider when it comes to doubt and questioning is to simply be in it with Jesus. Be in it with him. Mary didn't believe until Jesus went to her. Thomas didn't believe until he talked with Jesus. So talk to him. A couple weeks ago, I was talking with a woman who was struggling to make sense with these, uh, you know, this contradictory idea where she felt like, you know, I can see why the Bible, how the Bible explains it this way, and I can also see why the, how the Bible explains it that way. What do I do? How do I make this make sense? And I, to- she, uh, I told her, that's your invitation right there. That is your invitation to wrestle with the Lord. Guys, when we are doubting, when we feel like we are losing hope, That's our invitation to wrestle, to show up before the Lord, to say, here's what I've got. Now what? Don't run wild with your thoughts and your questions and your emotions, but run with those wild thoughts and questions, emotions to the Lord. The worst thing we can do is put up a wall or a barrier with the very person we have questions for. Focus on the person of Jesus. Focus on the character of God. Find your words in the Psalms. I personally think it is so important to stay in the Gospels. We know that all of this is God's word, um, but when we're in the Gospels, when we're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we're actually seeing Jesus living life as a human. We see this, and it matters because Jesus is our revelation of God, of who God is, of what he is like. So when you find yourself in a place of doubt or a place of hopelessness, lean into Jesus. Study the character of God. I love how Paul says it in Philippians 2. If we can put that up. There we go. He says here, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I know that doubt is hard and it can be scary. And I know feeling hopeless is painful and lonely. And I think what Paul is telling us here is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that that's okay. Work it out in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that fear. It's okay. Doubt does not equal crisis of faith. If anything, those doubts, those feelings of hopelessness, they can open the door to a greater faith. So as we get ready to take communion right now, I want to remind us again of why Jesus is good news when we are feeling hopeless or when we are struggling with doubt. Because our destiny isn't doubt. Our destiny is not hopelessness. That isn't the end for us. These stories of Mary and of Thomas, they don't end that way. It's God's faithfulness. It's the truth that Jesus meets us personally in our doubts and our hopelessness. Those emotions do not define us. But here's what does. 
Because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, he has adopted you into his family. He sees you and he loves you. And he calls you brother or sister. Because of Jesus and the work on the cross, you are a child of God. You are not a doubter. You are not hopeless. You're a child of God. Mary thought he was the gardener. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that. I'm put up a quote here from N.T. Wright that says this. It says, he says, here he is, the new Adam, the gardener, charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. He has come to uproot the thorns and thistles and replace them with blossoms and harvests. I love that. So as we come to the table, if your faith is in Jesus, this meal is available for you. I'm praying that we are grateful, that we are not defined by our hopelessness or our doubting. And we are not alone in those things either. And we won't be left in it forever. And that is what the bread and the wine remind us of. You're deeply loved and you matter to God. Receive his body and his blood right now as an act of love for you. Take and eat. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that personally meets us exactly where we are. We thank you for your life, death, and resurrection that has given us living hope that meets us where we are with grace and that calls us children of yours. It's in your name I pray. Amen.